This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined today by Dave Hursthouse and Sam O'Sullivan. And I know they're in Taranaki and I know they're on a farm, but actually I don't know the details of where they are, but welcome. Thank you, Sam. Kia ora. Thanks, Sam. Well, let's start with where you are. Where is your bubble? I'm wrong with that. So our bubble is um, on Piwakawaka Farm, which is in Papaiti, uh, Wanganui, so a few hours south of Taranaki. Um, and we are right on the edge of Gawatupua, the Wanganui River, um, on a 90-hectare, beautiful, abundant property. So we're very fortunate and grateful um, and privileged to be in a bubble that's essentially one big, expansive park. So how's your bubble going? Yeah, it's really, um, it's been really epic, Sam. Um, since this crisis started, it really... Um, just started to motivate us to do all sorts of things on the farm here. Like just getting the food going. We're like, well, you know, worst case scenario, we need food. So let's grow heaps of food. Um, you know, we just got everything we needed to survive and just crank the land here. So since um, since we went into lockdown, it's been all go on the farm. We've been super active. Um, you know, we've been harvesting apples, juicing, and you know doing all sorts of things here um but particularly i know dave spent a lot of time in the garden um you might want to speak to that yeah sure um yeah i think what the this whole situation did was bring to the forefront a whole lot of things that weren't resilient about the farm um it highlighted the things that were and uh, we really were in a good position um but with the kind of unknown nature of the the, the situation that we're in um, and also the unknown nature of our future. It just it stimulated um, us thinking about um, yeah, what, what's not so resilient here. And one of the things, especially at the change of season, was um, a lack of fresh food. We were growing some food, but not that much. Um, and not just for us, but also for the people who are around us and um, in, yeah, in this local community. Um, and not just for now, but in particular in the maybe very challenging months to come. So I've spent a whole lot of time um, transforming our cropping in area into an even more productive and abundant cropping area, which has been um, wonderful in a resilient sense, but also in a well-being and joy um, sense for me and for everyone else. Yeah. I think. It's really catalyzed us to think, think, think quite locally. We're, and I think we always thought locally, but in a way, I think we're very much viewing like the world and how we can support the world. But I think this, you know, what's happened with COVID has just really helped us focus on this community and what we're doing here in this place. And 
that's been that's been amazing it sort of brought our world into this bubble you know which is really cool so we're describing it as a farm but it's more than that isn't it can you give me socio-ecological learning environment 101 you sam yeah <laughs> Oh, that's, that's always a hard question to answer and people really, really do struggle to get their heads around what we're doing because it's complicated and there's a lot of facets to it and it's something that hasn't quite been done before. But it does have different parts that can be helped to talk about. I mean, ultimately, it's a learning environment, which is essentially a, a form of school uh, focused on teaching people skills around regenerative practice. So, I mean, that can mean a lot, but for us, it means growing food. Like how do you grow food sustainably? How do you, you know, attend to your ecosystems um, broadly, um, but specifically like around here would be the forest, the river, um, and we can look at internal ecosystems too. So we're looking at that regenerating the landscape itself, um, also regenerating um, people's mental health and well-being is a big part. That's something I'm really focused on um, as um, as a psychologist, and yeah, so that feeds into regenerative practices as well. Um, as well as kind of like probably one of the most important parts is is the social focus, like how do you do community well? How do you actually make decisions together in a collaborative way? And how do you, you know, and it obviously integrates with mental health and, you know, how you're, how you're collaborating and what's going on for you. Um, and, how, you know, the sort of tools, like how do you facilitate process and make decisions and do all those things? So those are some of the important parts but this hits more, and I'm sure Dave wants to speak. <laughs> yeah, thanks, thanks, Sam. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially about um, yeah, healthy people in a healthy environment, and and supporting and stewarding people um, in in their um, development of skills and knowledge around um, yeah, regenerative practice or or long term sustainability. And really, it was this whole project, which is still in, in its early stages, was catalyzed by responding to significant global crises um, that we are facing as a species, e.g. climate change, ecological collapse, social unrest, and whatnot. Um, and so the, our whole, our whole co-papa is all about pre preparing for those things. But we weren't really expecting or prepared for one to just <laughs> land out of the middle of nowhere right now and, and to be one that's kind of different to the, to the sorts of crises that we were thinking about you know mm. the ones the more significant crises that we're going to face in the future um are perhaps longer term even more complex um and and acting on different um aspects of our systems this is something entirely different and one of the impacts of it is that we've all been separated to some degree we've had to distance ourselves from each other which is the opposite yeah. of what we would do most of the time in response to crises. You know, if there was an earthquake or, you know, in response to climate change, we want to get everyone in the same room to talk about it. Whereas in this case, we can't be in the same room unless we're online. So that's, there's been some stimulation there in terms of what does that mean for us in this learning environment that we're creating and the kinds of skills and practices that we do want to be facilitating and learning about in the future. We shall take your first suggestion, Rhea Hall walk why'd you pick this one who picked this one i picked this one um oh, i just love the services um Rhea hall's a manawahine it's an amazing um, new zealand Maori artist and the song has got a lot of um spirit to it feels great even though the subject matter isn't necessarily so great it 
Yeah, it's got it's got mana. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mihi aroha nui, kia koutou koutou hau. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars in your beloved bubbles. And I'm just so grateful to have more time with you. How wonderful. I feel like the luckiest one in the whole universe. Thank you so much. 
and it's really so exciting you know the transformation that's taken place for me in my own life since doing this show I'm just so grateful to Sam for inviting me and it's just been wonderful thinking about all these things that I can share for five minutes each day so I'm just so grateful thank you so much and of course last time I was so excited to talk about the show continuing and that sense of endless possibility and the shift that takes place psychologically when we know that something will continue and how we can reframe all our lives and all of our time together in this way and how beneficial that is. And also, that got me thinking about fresh starts because, of course, fresh starts are part of this endless journey that we're all on together and fresh starts have been so beneficial for me in my life and I'm sure they have for you too and this time that we find ourselves in now of course every single moment every single breath every single sunrise every single time we close our eyes and open them again every single moment can be reframed as a fresh start not just this exciting time that we find ourselves together in now and I just love obviously as a human animal the product of literally billions of years of life evolving consciously cohesively communicatively on the face of our beautiful planet we're just so good at reframing and we're just so good at perceiving things in different ways to help us bring out the best in ourselves and each other and fresh starts is a wonderful way to reframe and recenter and refine our passion and our purpose and our creative fire and our our love for what we do and who we are and what more we can be very exciting so for me when I have been delving and diving and pondering fresh starts for all of us to enjoy today part of what I really love about reframing and deciding and choosing that a time will be a fresh start is that it releases me and it frees me and it frees me up from everything that has come before that fresh start not in a sense that I have to completely forget about it but I could if I chose to but a sense that it doesn't limit what I will do from now. It doesn't hold me. It doesn't bind me. It doesn't define me. My identity is not based on it. And I am free. And this fresh start process, I think we can apply to all aspects of our lives whilst still feeling and acknowledging and grieving and loving and appreciating everything that has gone before this fresh start. We want to honour our lives. We want to bravely embody everything that we are, everything that we have experienced. But we don't want to be held back and we want to be able to have fresh starts whenever we need to. So fresh starts can also allow us to be grateful for everything that has gone before 
in the sense that it has brought us to where we are now. And I love this too. And having had obviously a very exciting life with lots of ups and downs, I'm just so grateful for where I am now. And I'm so grateful to be able to take this situation and really appreciate all the things I've loved about it this time in my beloved bubble and think about how now as gradually I'm venturing forth into the wider world as are we all how this can be a fresh start for me what I want to take from this time to imbue my actions with greater depth and joy and I hope that for you this time has also been really helpful and you can enjoy this emergence from your beloved bubble chrysalis as a fresh start as a beautiful butterfly thank you and i'll look forward to talking to you next time Kakite. why do you think that we've responded to this crisis in a way that we haven't responded to the other ones that you were perhaps expecting is it just a matter of immediacy or is there something else well, I think it's, a, it's an interesting um, condensed case study, isn't it? Because I think the immediacy thing is a, is a massive aspect of it. Um, it was there and it was threatening and pressing. But you still had waves of denialism. You still have you know, people who um, don't think it's a big deal, still don't think it's a big deal. Uh, You've got different leaders responding in different ways, different mm. actors responding in different ways. And it's kind of like what's happening on a larger, longer-term scale around climate change. So I think there's a lot of similarities. It's just really condensed. Um, and then, yeah, I think I think really that immediate aspect of it um, catalyzed this um, big response from our political um, spectrum, at least. Dan, do you have anything to say? I want to mull on that question. If there was yeah, anything so, else. <laughs> it's a good question because it just kind of ruled out a lot of what I would, what I would say, um, you know, in an elaborate way, talk about immediacy. Um, because, yeah, people, I think, feel threatened. And, you know, so then there's, and it motivates them to act. And the problem of climate change and other issues we see is there's no yeah, immediacy, there's no threat to the individual, so they're not acting. Um, so that's, and we also have great leadership, you know, where it's not like every country has reacted in this way to to what's happening. We happen to be fortunate to have, you know, a government that really thinks critically, lists, you know, looks at science, um, amazing communication, incredible, you know, put the country into lockdown and essentially control the entire country and make you feel like it was the nicest, kindest thing to do. Kind of blew my mind. Like, I'm really, really impressed. Um, so, yeah, I think we're lucky, and I think it's to do with, with our leadership as much as it's to do with the immediacy. Yeah. There's something else about it which might be... Um, it's, it's a complex beast, but it's not compli as complex as other things like climate change. And there's an almost... Mm. Um, there's a simplicity in the sense that disease it spreads if you get it you get sick and you might die you know you've got infection rates and you can model it um and it has all sorts of other emergent properties like economic recession social discord and all that sort of stuff um but at least the immediate effects could be mapped and understood and then i think the other interesting thing is that 
the responses led by government in a, in a large way and has and is essentially being authoritarian which i think most people are grateful for in this situation but that's i think that's quite different to what the response will need to be for other crises where it will need to emerge from community on a localized level more than um more than it will need to be driven from the top they've um, managed to yeah. they've managed to blend authoritarian and kind yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is the fate. Yeah, it's amazing. Like I uh, I'm an anti authoritarian and I'm I'm pleased about it, you know. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's happened. But it, again it's the kind of thing you can I th I think it's an understandable issue if you you, know, you don't need to learn too much about it to be able to understand the effects that the, the virus can have on populations. So yeah. um it's like when I listen to them in their press conferences, our leaders, um, you know, it's, it's it's understandable, and I I know where they're coming from, and I I can mm -hmm. I get what they're doing and why they're doing it, and can see that it's for the benefit of all our people, mm -hmm. um, and it had to happen quickly. So yeah, it's mm -hmm. kind of one of those times when some authoritarian leadership has its value. Yeah, like we, I mean, as people who are trying to work on a you know a relatively flat hierarchical organization. We've always talked about the art times for hierarchy. Um, and one of those times is like a disaster. Another time might be in warfare. I mean, you're gonna get beaten pretty quick if you're trying to self-organize. But when we look at the natural world and we see how it self-organizes and we see how long plants have been around for compared to human beings, we can see these like definitely a lot of wisdom to that model. Um, if plants could quickly develop a hierarchy and escape a fire or a disease or something, they probably would. But um, but actually, they're extremely resilient, and we're not. So, um, in the longer term, I think you know this is not organizational model to stay with. And it, you know, which is emphasised by the fact that other authoritarian leadership responses are diabolical. And yeah. <laughs> so we just we're extremely privileged to have the people we do at the moment. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist, observing city life in lockdown. Hello there, bubble folk. Liesel here. Hope you're having a fantastic kind of day. Uh, I know I am. Um, as always, pretty much. And you know what? I think that's got a lot to do with how you want to look at the world. I know it's kind of a cliche, the whole glass half full, glass empty thing. Um, but you know, like all great cliches, it's probably because it's got a bit of truth in it. There's something about the sort of um, what you make of it idea. Uh, and that's sort of something that I guess is quite a hard hitting kind of thing to think about during this whole last few weeks and as we continue in the various levels of our lockdown experience I think that um, how you approach something is how it is going to be and at some level you may not have a lot of control over things and there's a lot of things that you can't change so it may not feel like there's an awful lot you can do about certain things but there's a lot you can do about the way you think about stuff and 
One of the cool things about all this time that we've had, even though I know a lot of people are not in the same situation as me, um, in, in the bubble with people, some people will be with people, some people won't, but um, we all have time, I think as I've said in some of the other conversations, just to have, there will be time, because we've got a lot of time, to just reflect a little bit, and I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on is um, during this period has been around the concept of um, aloneness versus loneliness, and I think there are they they can often be confused, and sometimes the two things are happening at the same time. You can be alone and lonely. Um, you can sometimes be lonely and in a room full of people or very much surrounded by people in your life and um, I've experienced both of those things being alone and lonely and I have been um, with people and lonely so um, yeah I think something about being able to find comfort wherever you are in being okay with yourself and again this is sort of a cliche too isn't it but it's uh, that whole idea that if you can find a way to be happy with yourself then other things actually start to fall into place and I've had a few conversations recently with friends who have been just checking in with me about how I'm doing because, again, I'm bubbling it up all by myself and I really had no idea how I was going to cope with that. Um, like I've probably said in a few other of the, the conversations about I'm a bit of a people person, I like to have my conversations, I like to be around people. Um, I'd say I'm a classic extrovert, although I do have... Um, probably more introvert tendencies as I've gotten older but uh, yeah I wasn't sure how I was going to go with that and friends checking in have been sort of saying well how are you doing you know this has been a few weeks now where you haven't had anyone really in your space and um, because I've maintained this I haven't really had too much contact with other human beings so I have been interested in the fact that most of this time I have been relatively happy and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that I have decided that I'm going to be happy <laughs> and, and treat this as a wonderful opportunity and that's what I tell myself every single morning when I get up, this is a wonderful opportunity, what are you going to make of this opportunity today Liesl? So again it's easier said than done <laughs> and it's a work in progress but finding that space within aloneness uh, and finding space to be alone, this is important too, and then working out how you're going to make that work for you. And I think there's lots of positive things that you can take from alone time. Um, it's what you choose to focus on. And yeah, all of this, again, really easy to talk about, not so easy to do. So this isn't, this isn't like a setup where it's like, go forth and do but it's more just some thoughts to think about because these are some of the things I've been thinking about over the past few weeks anyway wanted to share that with you uh, from my bubble to yours I hope you have a lovely lovely rest of the day and look forward to chatting again soon take care Sam one of the things that you do is the tough talk that's right is it a program podcast well that's 
In the past, it's been a documentary series. Uh, more recently, it's really evolved into more of a peer-to-peer -peer support platform, if anything. So mainly, it's a group of people. Um, I ask questions, other people ask questions, and we share resources, share understandings, and talk to each other. And during COVID, we started Tough Talk Live. So basically, myself um, and three other guys who I think are incredible examples of um, a sort of modern form of masculinity started to offer live well-being sessions. So we had workouts, mindfulness, um, bedtime stories to help with sleep, and sort of uh, physio doing posturing on desks and in the workplace. And we offer those, and I've been doing farm life stories, so actually telling the stories of the farm, which I thought would be interesting for people to see small snapshots, videos, um, and an explanation while kind of showing farming and sort of giving it a, like using ecological metaphor to say, hey, we're gardening, but I'm also pulling weeds, you know, um, out of my mind in a sense. Um, and me and David talked about that metaphor and it doesn't quite work, but there's a lot of, I find when I garden, you know, it relieves a lot of stress, but I can really look at what I'm doing in the garden and relate it to, you know, my, my psychology and my mind. Um, so I've been telling those stories um, as they play out. What is the mindset that, I don't suppose it's one mindset, that that we should be adopting to get through this? I don't know how I feel I think, about that. I think it's all collaboration. No, neither do I. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bit of a delay. I was just thinking... Um, it was just funny, we didn't, we didn't see this crisis coming, but a group of us working on this learning environment project um, played Pandemic, the board game a lot, which is a collaborative board game. And we loved it. And that actually really helped us collaborate because to play it well, which we all wanted to do, we had to work together really effectively and use our strengths and, you know, like use our minds to think ahead. And, you know, as much as this is in some ways hampering collaboration, this whole thing is a mass, is, is, is mass collaboration because we're like, we're all, we developed this shared language. We're all, um, you know, very quickly and we're all facing a common um, challenge. So I, I think the mindset is collaboration um, and, you know, to actually collaborate to the point that we're keeping distance of each other and, and losing our livelihoods and having, you know, all these really, these really hard things happen and not even be able to touch each other and, you know, have some of those physical comforts that are so important to human beings. Um, that, I think that is, that is the mindset um, that, that I see as being really important. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that the need for collaboration is high. Um, and I think as we move forward into the months ahead, which will be, I think, more challenging than the months past, um, there will be an even greater need for um, for collaboration, as well as, I think, patience and um, okay. kindness and, and, yeah, like, um, and compassion towards um, everybody else and, uh, and doing, everyone doing the best they can to... Um, not stray into the individualistic um, mm -hmm. mentality that that could take our social distancing um, to a next level, which it, which becomes dangerous. And I and I think yeah that that kind of open mindedness to where other people are at, what they're experiencing, how they're seeing the world, how they understand the world, um, and what their what their challenges are at this time is going to be um, essential for that collaboration to be possible. Because we're kind of at a, I think we're at a, it could go either way now, you know, and I think those things will enable us to go in a more regenerative direction than, um, 
I do do know who have won. We talked to Nandor Tanchos last week, and he's he says that he, we hope he hopes that we can pull off a regenerative future, not a rather than a recovery. Mm. Yeah. What's your take on that, and what do you think we need to do to get it in that direction? Well, yeah, um, I totally get where he's coming from. I mean, if we're if we're in a recovery mode, then we we're trying to recover what was there before. And we kind of have this opportunity. I mean, what this has done is is highlight the vulnerability of so many of our systems, national and global, um, particularly economic, for us to have this kind of reasonably like massive, but also comparatively um, smaller than future disruptions, um, and have such severe economic consequences. Highlights the vulnerability of that system. So, what was going on before maybe wasn't so good. I mean, we already all knew that, but maybe other people are learning that it's um, realizing that it's, it wasn't so great. So recovery and heading back to that would not be would not be desirable, I don't think. But if we have this opportunity to begin to move beyond those systems and do something else that will prepare us for the future ahead, which is going to be even crazier than the last month. It's, yeah, that re- that regenerative future. But yeah, there's this opportunity to move towards that. But the messiness of figuring that out, there's a lot of vulnerability there for us as a society because beforehand we were kind of in the space of figuring out, figuring that out with a reasonable level of stability and now we're massively destabilized and we're trying to figure it out. So things just became harder in terms of developing the regenerative future, I think. But mm. at the same time, has, um, is supported by a growing awareness of need um, yeah, and, and this kind of affirmation that it's where we need to be heading. Hmm. Dan, do you want to spin off that? Yeah, I think you know, I think that really answers your own question quite well about the mindset. Is it reminds me, you know, the regenerative mindset because it reminds me of mental health. People talk about recovery all the time in mental health, and it's just no one enjoys talking about recovery. Like it's just, but it's really hard to find a better word, and a better word is regenerative. I actually just had it. You just gave me that insight um, because you know when you speak to people about flourishing you speak to people about you know fulfilling their potential and living their purpose and you know just you know being healthy being the best they can be and really enjoying life it's just that mindset and that conversation can lead to you know incredible change for someone but i I always do argue it's it's really useful to talk about trauma and go there but it needs to be balanced and integrated with this sort of mindset so perhaps there's still room i think there is room within society um to talk up to you know continue to engage people in a mindset of actually engaging with the hard stuff and trauma and healing you know that's happened from the past um, and writing some of those wrongs but actually that mindset of looking forward um and i think this you know our bubble um you know we're in a really privileged position and i fully acknowledge that but our bubble is an excellent and our bubble is an excellent example of um this crisis hitting and then actually just being like pushed into regeneration you know, we're really, really, like, in terms of the land here, really improving it, um, well, improving its potential to support us as much as anything and the people around us, but also, you know, working on um, socially here as well um, and contributing um, locally into the people here and their mental health and their lives. I think one of the things that this has done is 
you know how much I don't like the Venn diagram version of sustainability, but at least it puts the three pillars in the same place. And I don't like the pillars, but bear with me. Um, is is that it's shown how the the systems are integrated? That the mm-hmm. the it's shown people how connected the economy and the society are. Now, mm-hmm. you know that how much I like the social ecological phrase, and it's the name of your place, so you you must like it too. So while it's not got such a direct connection to the environment or to the, to the ecology, at least it's showing the integration. Yeah, absolutely. And that, mm. like, that's the thing. Like we can treat this as an amazing opportunity. There's so much potential for learning here. People can be, people can learn more deeply about how integrated our systems are. That we, you know, our socioeconomic is tied to our ecological, because we're dealing with an ecological um, disruption here. That's what the that's what a virus is. It's a emerge from our ecosystem. Um, yeah, so there's so much opportunity for learning there. And um, another opportunity I was thinking about was um, well, this has highlighted um, the disparities or the the um, heightened vulnerability of um, socioeconomically disadvantaged people in our country and around the world, it's also highlighted um, how amazing Māori leadership can be and iwi leadership can be. Um, and so it's another example of a social um, emergent property of this time that um, that will stimulate people and people can begin to learn about and see things happening in a slightly different way. Um, so what I'm hoping is that seeds have been sown in this time yeah. that begin to grow in people's minds and they begin to see things in a different way kind of of their own accord. Mm. It's going to be useful, I think, just to have conversations. People always saying things like, you know, like, can you give us an example? And now we can say, yes, you're absolutely. And people are, oh, you can't change these systems. And we're saying, well, look at the mass change that happened so quickly. We totally can. We know we can now. You know, this is this is possible. This is It is a mindset to be like, oh, you can't possibly, you know, break down the capitalist system that we're currently living in. Um, but actually we can and we could just all choose to live really and operate as communities and grow food and support each other you know this is entirely possible and perhaps you know more resilient for the future let's take a track from madeline peru more time Marching out the old toward the new century Armed with the new technology We're getting more and more productivity Some say things are looking up for prosperity But if everyone is gonna get a share this time Our mentality must be left behind I want the shorter working day And the shorter working week Longer holidays Peace and quiet More time for leisure For pleasure For edification And creation Time to contemplate To ruminate And to relate Give me more time 
abolish unemployment, revolutionize labor deployment, full time, we'll banish overtime, let everybody get to work this time, we need a higher quality of levity, and we need it now, and for everybody. Shorter working year, the shorter working life. More time for the husband, more time for the wife, more time for the children, for to train them, for to educate and create. More time for living, more time for life. Give me more time. describe that as? Is it jazz reggae? Something like that. Speaks for itself though, that track, doesn't it? More prosperity, but of everyone getting a share of this. Old mentality must be left behind. Yeah. They've written your playbook for you. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. And, and I think um, that's something else I've loved about this time is for some people, acknowledging that it hasn't been possible for many people. Um, there has been this big sort of pause um, in life or a change of pace. And I've seen a lot of wonderful things emerge from people who've had a bit more space to slow down, yeah. um, breathe, uh, reflect on their life a bit. And while that might have come at um, in the cost of economic hardship, it has had some well-being benefits, I think, for people um, and their lives. And yeah, like that song says, it would be nice if we all had a little bit more time. Yeah, I felt like um, there's almost a choice people can make, you know, especially if you were living largely alone. It was like, you know, are you going to choose to wallow in loneliness and disconnection, or are you actually going to take this time to reflect and get to know yourself? Um, and a lot of people have done that, I think. Yeah, I'm sure there's people who haven't, but... Um, yeah, I think I've been quite surprised, at least by the stories I hear, and I'm fairly clued into a lot of people's lives because of what I do. Um, there's been a lot of positives. There's been a lot of struggle too, particularly for people that have lost a lot of the money in their livelihood, you know, like restaurants and all sorts of things people have you know, invested their self-expression and identity into. Um, so I don't want to you know, forget that. But there's been, there's been a, lot, a lot of reflection going on, I suspect. In terms of what you've been investing your imagination into what's going to change or what's this what's going to be the future for the for the farm out of this has it got opportunities for it yeah um yeah so the project in this land is in the early stages of its relationship um and trying to make it all all happen here um and the potential of the land is huge it's a really beautiful area of land its ecosystems are delightful and um, 
and would love some human interaction. And there's heaps of potential for um, embedding regenerative practice in the, in the space and um, regenerative agriculture, ecosystem enhancement, etc., and it having a really profound um, ripple effect on the on the community of Wanganui. Prior to this situation, um, in our the forming of relationships with various people and groups um, in Mana Whenua in Wanganui. The enthusiasm, the enthusiasm and acknowledgement of the need for something like this was already there. Mm. And I think now that enthusiasm and awareness of the need is going to be heightened significantly. And it feels like that collaborative atmosphere was already there. So yeah. I think there's a lot of um, opportunity for us in, in this place. Um, to make it thrive and it already is a learning space for yeah. everyone who is here is learning so much um, by being with each other by working this place and just tuning into the wind and the rain and the sun and the moon and yeah. how the fall and how the water moves and all that sort of stuff yeah. Uh, so yeah things are looking things are looking pretty good yeah. but it's a, it's a moving it's a moving feast they say around here <laughs> Yeah, like Dave said, we were really getting to know the community here, just early days, but we just felt so welcomed and so, you know, people, so supported. A lot of times we've talked about this project, people can get quite critical um, and kind of, yeah, just question, question us a lot or, you know, ask questions that are kind of um, ridiculous. Like, have you thought about funding it? Like, yes, you know, <laughs> we have. <laughs> it's been several years, and it's been kind of frustrating, but we haven't encountered that here in the community here. It's just been full support, and like, how can I help straight away, which is which is great. I look forward to getting back into that. But by, by not doing that, it has given us a lot of time to think about the land here and to think about how we can establish some um, enterprises to support the the charitable you know, interests of this organization, which is education and offering people accessible learning. And that has been great because we've been really thinking about what we can what we can create from the land here, what we can grow, um, and how some of those business models might work. So that's been something we've been working on a lot and there's some really exciting um, business opportunities in the pipeline, um, which are ultimately for us not about it's not about making money. We're not gonna be making money. We'd be lucky to be paid. Um, but we're certainly gonna be working towards um, you know, funding this project. Mm. You know, let's jump in there and talk about food for a little bit. Um, my passion. Um, and the this interesting um, state of affairs that throughout this um, crisis, food has of course been an essential business and our primary industry food production has um, continued the whole time. And there's a fairly good chance it'll be looked to as one of the economic um, saviors, I guess it might be held yeah. up as. Um, and so there's a real um, danger there that the um, progress that has been made around improving our agricultural practices in Aotearoa and heading towards a more regenerative agriculture may be lost. Um, there's some there's some opportunity for it not to be lost. I mean, someone was, was reading a thing the other day about how the environment and social impacts of food will maybe heightened by the consumer now. But there's some risk involved in this current situation. And so for me, it's even more important than it was before 
to create spaces that support people learning about, especially farmers, mm. learning about regenerative agriculture, the kind of food production that is good for the land and it's good for the animals and it's good for the um, plants and it's good for the farmers in terms of their well-being and prosperity. Um, and this place has got heaps of potential for supporting that um, in a semi-rural area. So I'm pretty excited about that. And I think it's going to be really important in the years. Your chair of yeah. permaculture in New Zealand, there's yeah. an awful lot of people went out and planted vegetables over the yeah. last month or so. Yeah, isn't it remarkable? Yeah, it, there's an opportunity seen... there to, to 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 bounce off that a bit, I think. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And I mean, our permaculture New Zealand Facebook page membership has just gone bonkers in the last month. Like, so hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people joining. Um, so there is heaps of potential there. And so for us as a national organisation, permaculture New Zealand, um, there's there's a bunch of things that we're working on in response to this. A lot of it's what we were doing anyway, because a lot of what we were doing is about creating a regenerative, thriving world that will be resilient and abundant communities that can um, endure in the years to come. So it's, it's not entirely, it's not much different, but our focus is on supporting local groups, permaculturalists all around the country, and the activities that they're doing, whether it's education or um, communal food resilience or um, local currencies, um, economic systems and all that sort of stuff. Our focus is on supporting them. Um, and I think that in the months and year, the, the months especially to come throughout the rest of the year, um, there will be a lot of activity from people with the permaculture mindset um, or a way of seeing the world in their local communities with their councils and iwi, et cetera, um, to uplift that resilience. And so, yeah, I think there's just heaps of opportunity to springboard off of that. And it was so cool to see so many people buying so many seedlings and buying so much flour. You know, it was like it's like people knew <laughs> what needed to be done. It's just now they had to do it. And so, yeah, like I said, I hope there's some seeds being sown there that grow. Yeah, I mean, I just think even that question is like, are you an essential service? It's such an interesting question. Suddenly you're like, huh, I'm not essential. What I do is an essential. It doesn't really, it's not really needed for society to function. Like if you've got a, a, a job title that no one knows what it is, that like you're just some miscellaneous job title and organization, which is heaps of people, it's probably oh, not yeah. essential. You know, and um, suddenly people are going, well, what is essential? Yeah, and like, it's, you know, it's food. It's, it's, it's the basics of life. Um, and that's, and a lot of people will find when they start gardening and growing food that it's incredibly interesting. And to do it well is incredibly hard. And I think pretty soon people are going to be looking around um, for places that are going to teach them how to do that, which is exactly what we want to offer and support other people to offer that as well. Yeah, there's not many places that are offering that kind of education, that kind of learning focused on growing food really, really well, um, you know, for adults, for, for young adults, for their post, kind of post-secondary audience. Um, there are things like green schools um, and enviro schools, but they tend to focus on younger children. Um, and that education isn't being carried through, and there's just not a lot of people that actually know how to do it, um, aside from farmers who are working on their own normally, doing all the worst things because they're forced to because of the system, because they can't afford to hire people, 
and work collaboratively collaboratively with you know a large group of people that's required to grow food well um, without damaging the ecosystem. Biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh my gosh! Establishing this organisation. Mm. Yeah, definitely, and that's a shared success. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been incredible. It's just given us so much purpose and focus um, for all, everyone involved. And it's, yeah, it's directing our lives and it feels really good. So you can't really you can ask for more than that. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. You're in the mansion of people doing good work. What's your superpower? Do you want to say each other's superpowers then? Oh. That's a good <laughs> idea. Yep. Oh, God, Dave's got quite a few. Okay. Um, Sam's superpower is um, being a trustable listener. <laughs> I just make eye contact with people and, you know, suddenly they feel at ease. <laughs> a, trustable, a trustable, compassionate listener. Oh, thank you, Dave. Yeah, Dave's, Dave's superpower is kind of like bring, bringing out the wild in people and not just the wild, but, yeah, I guess it, you could call it the wild, like helping people see their potential and just push through any kind of conditioning and barriers they might have to do, to like live their purpose well and do the best thing for the world. Like just kind of, just as mere presence and steer challenges you to do that. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? You got time on your hands, reflect on your life, you know, just get out a pen, and think about, you know, go through significant events and think about what you've learned. That's something actually Otago Polytechnic taught us. And it's been just such a valuable tool is take the time to learn from your life because just living your life experientially, um, you're probably learning about half, if, if that, of the lessons that are there. So um, take this time to reflect. These, your internal world is, you know, just a bottomless, um, you know, I don't want to say that. <laughs> a bottomless dreamland of potential. Um, <laughs> take a look at it. <laughs> uh, um, I would say um, do all you can to learn about your whakapapa, your ancestry, where do you come from, um, from your human ancestors through to your non-human ancestors and your um, your deep cellular relationship to the, the grand web of life. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you, Sam. Thanks, Sam. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I've been joined today by Dave Hursthouse and Sam O'Sullivan on Piwaka Waka Farm outside Wanganui. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.